Hey, Anna, remember that time the Christmas crooner owned the Pittsburgh Pirates? Welcome to Remember That Time in Historical Podcast. I am your host, Anna Webb. And I am your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history. And it's Christmas time. And we're back. And we're back. We're back, baby. We took a month because we needed it. Yeah, we realized we hadn't really taken a break from the podcast other than maybe an episode here or there. Um, And we've both been pretty tired and overwhelmed Uh so we took some time off yeah but we're back now for our holiday episodes and we're in the same room again yes we sure are we're at home there's a christmas tree yes it is it's time for holiday episodes and speaking of which would you like a drink update yes absolutely i'm having some spiced cider nice very seasonal. I'm having water. <laughs> which is always seasonal. Out of a Thanksgiving cup. That's true. I'm using the last um, paper Thanksgiving cup <laughs> from our holiday celebrations. <laughs> so I guess it's kind of festive. It's festive enough. I mean, for the holiday that has passed. Yeah. And that I care significantly less about. Yeah, truly. Here we are. Food's good, though. Um, And because it is the holiday season, we're doing some vaguely holiday-themed episodes. Yeah, if you've been with the podcast for a while, you know that we usually do, like, a Christmas or holiday sort of special or a month of, like, themed holiday episodes. We're not really doing that this year because, A, we're kind of running out of ideas, and B... We just didn't have the time or patience. Yeah. Um, but we're kind of trying to keep it on theme a little bit. Yeah. So so this episode is going to be about Bing Crosby. So Bing. he is very famous, obviously, but also <laughs> largely because of his work in sort of Christmas music and film. Yes. So we felt like that was still kind of appropriate yeah. to theme. So totally. that's that's what we're doing. This one is about old Bing Crosby. Let's get into star it. star of my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. And we will get to that shortly. <laughs> so Harry Lillis Crosby Jr. is born on May 13th. 3rd, 1903, in Tacoma, Washington, to Harry and Catherine Crosby. Uh, he's the fourth of seven children. Um, obviously, he was not born Bing. We will talk about <laughs> how he got the nickname in a minute, but I'm Bing. only going to call him Bing in this episode because that You're is... You're not going to wait till we get to the nickname? No. Okay, got it. No, it's because I will forget. Okay. So, um, his mother is a second-generation Irish-American. And on his father's side, he is a descendant of a passenger on the Mayflower. Wow. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean. There's a lot there. Rich white people, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Were they rich? I just assumed. They weren't poor. Okay, got it. Um. In 1906, his family moves to Spokane, Washington, and this is where he's raised for, sure. you know, most of his childhood. Uh, his childhood home still stands and is now a museum for Bing Crosby. I love when they do mm-hmm. that. It's also on what is now the campus of his alma mater. So oh. it is also, like, that's an extra cool. connection. They they own a lot of stuff from his lifetime, and they have it on oh, display in that cool. museum. I love when they make people's childhood homes into I do, too. Museums. I do, too. Because it's, it's a home so that right. his dad built, so that's also yes, cool. I yeah. I love that. 
Bing gets his nickname around 1910 when a neighbor starts calling him Bingo from Bingville, uh, which was (laughs) after a comic feature in the local paper called the Bingville Bugle. And he really liked that comic. So she started calling him Bingo. And and then eventually that just got shortened to Bing. I love that I do story. Too. He told a story that it was because he used to run around playing cops and robbers, and whenever he would fake shoot, he would bing. go Bing, 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 Bing. But that is a much more charming story. Well, and he he like told that on a radio show, uh, like joking with the hosts. But has he he confirmed this right. story of this how he got his nickname? Story. Yeah. Um, in 1917, he works at Spokane's Auditorium. I think it's just, like, their stage. Like a local, a local theater. theater or something. Um, where he sees several performances, and that's when he starts to kind of become interested in performing. performing. Uh, in 1920, he graduates from Gonzaga High School. Yes, Gonzaga. Uh, he then attends Gonzaga University for three years, but he doesn't earn a degree initially. Hmm. He will end up getting an honorary doctorate from the school, like, way when later in his life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is where the home is now in Gonzaga right. University. I feel like I should have known that. I don't know why. I guess, <laughs> I guess because, like, West Virginia would always play Gonzaga, like, in basketball and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And I guess I sh- I feel like I should have heard that on, like, a broadcast or something, but that I never knew that. fun fact, yeah. yeah. Well, tons of stuff in Spokane and in the university are now uh-huh. named. The, like, that auditorium is now, like, the Big Crosby. Well, of course whatever. it is. Yeah, tons of stuff is named after him now. Uh, in 1923, he joins a band of other young performers called the Musical Ladders, I think. <laughs> Okay. Musical Ladders, I think is how you say cool. that. Um, cool name, It's, guys. like, him and a couple of, like, older high school. So he's, like, early college and they're, like, late high school okay. ki- young cool performers. Kids. Yeah. It's, like, their <laughs> improv group name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they, like, perform for the local radio station for a couple years, uh, but they disband after two years. But this is where he meets Al Rinker. Who okay. he ends up performing with for the next several yeah. years of his early, early career. Um, Bing and Al work together singing in some other vocal groups. I'm not di- not going to list all of his groups. Uh, there's be a lot. too many. Um, they they sing in some other vocal groups for a few years before deciding to move to L.A. together in 1925. Um and for that next year, they're working as musical acts for a lot of shows that are just like, this is the show, th- th- this is a thing in the 20s and 30s where it would yeah. be like, every Saturday there's a show with yeah. this orchestra and these are this is the opening act. Like, that was the kind of work they were doing. I find it really interesting that they went to L.A. to do that in the 20s. Yeah. Because then you would think... New York. But they most also are from Washington, so it's no, closer. No, I know that, but most mm-hmm. performers would want to go to New York yeah. around that time because that's where the stage scene mm-hmm. really was and still is. Yeah. People go to L.A. now to be performers because that's where TV and movies are. Yeah. You know? But, you know, if if you grow up on the West Coast, yeah, that's like the more central famous location. No, I know a lot of people, no, move, a lot of people so. would move, but I think it makes sense as that being like a first step for them. It's the type of performance to me. Yes, because they're, they're singers, not actors exactly. at this point. Um, but there are lots of – I think they had connections there. Like, I think I'm they sure knew they some people who yeah. worked there. Um, so they're working on a couple of different shows 
um, kind of trying to build their own act mm-hmm. for the next year or so. And then eventually they're spotted, spotted and hired by Paul Whiteman in 1926. And he runs an orchestra, mm-hmm. like a traveling yep. orchestra. Pretty famous. Um, so they tour with Whiteman for the next few years. Um, they, like, have their first show in Chicago, and they're touring with him for a while. When they go to New York, their group actually is almost split up because there's – they have to perform much bigger stages mm-hmm. where they have to, like, reach the back of the house, which is oh, different okay. from yeah. venues in L.A. Yeah. Um, but Bing and Al are joined by Harry Barris, and the three form the Rhythm Boys. Yeah. And with, like, the extra vocals, it allows them sure. to, like, build that a little bit more. I love this old school concept I of building too. an act. Yes. Like they, everybody was an act. And you're, you could take your act on the road or people would want to sign your act. Mm-hmm. I, that is such an interesting concept because we don't really do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, you have, like, stand-up comedians and stuff, which I think probably branches from that. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Although- well, a lot of these performers end up becoming comedians because of the type of yeah. shows that they perform. I would say, although, now I think that... Um, like people who travel to do like podcast shows or YouTubers, kind yeah. Of it's like Colleen Ballinger has like a one woman show, and it's like that's her act, yeah, right. And then mm-hmm. she takes that on the. It's road. the spirit of that, yeah, kind of carrying like, over. It's not like she's a band touring, right? You know, uh, yeah. yeah so. It's that variety show kind of concept. Totally, that's yes. that's, and that's not really what he starts doing. But as no, his but career progresses, used, it, it, it used will to be those like it was yeah. just like a singing act. Yeah, we would get to, we would sing together. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just find it interesting. Sorry, yeah, I really derailed us. Now. No, that's fine. Um, so yeah, now now they're the Rhythm Boys, and they're still traveling with white men. Um. Bing very quickly becomes the breakout star. Sure. He's got an exceptional voice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he has his first number one hit in 1928 with their rendition of Old Man River. I almost started singing uh-huh, that, same. I'm not going yep. to. <laughs> um, the group leaves Whiteman's organization and they join the Gus Arnheim Orchestra. Um, apparently... Bing and Whiteman had had some issues for mm. several years, and there's also some speculation that their split from Whiteman may have beca- been because Bing was starting to develop an alcohol problem. Uh. Um, th- that's not really substantiated. It's just something that I found because it is true that when he was young, he had an alcohol problem, but like in his older years, he kind of got a handle on sure. it. He had many other vices, which we well, will get into. Yeah, um, I'm sure we will. But he he started to get a handle on it later, and actually started smoking a lot of weed instead. Um, hey, listen, if it works. Yeah. So in like an interview in like 1977, he was saying that he thought we should be legalized. In the 70s. He wasn't wrong. I just well, think a lot of people were saying I know. in the 70s, but, but not he was a so lot of old. people who grew up yeah, in the 20s. Yeah, because yeah. at, at that point, he's like, yeah. yeah. I, I just thought that was interesting, that fact about him, that he sort of curbed his alcohol problem by switching to yeah. smoking weed. Um, Just interesting facts about him. In 1930, he marries actress and nightclub singer Dixie Lee. Uh, which is just like a classic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real 20s kind of name. Well, you said it and I went, hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
1931, he signs a solo recording contract with Max Sennett, and at that point, the Rhythm Boys break up. Sure, but, but it was it was a long time coming because he's, solo he's now, baby. yeah yeah. He, I mean, he just is so talented. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he makes his solo radio debut on September 2nd, 1931, and by the end of that year, he signs uh, with Brunswick Records and CBS Radio to do a weekly 15-minute radio show. Uh, 15 minutes with of radio. 15 minutes with Bing Crosby is what it was. I would listen to that. I would too. <laughs> That's like every Christmas. Yeah, Who's yeah. He's not listening to just 15, 15 minutes, minutes of Bing Crosby, Crosby nonstop. At least yeah. 15 But but you know, we were just talking about how like eventually those acts that are just singing yeah. acts develop it's because they start as radio shows yeah so they sing but they also like ad lib and talk to the crowd because right. it, it's all live radio at this point mm-hmm. um and like bounce off the crowd and tell jokes right. and so he starts to develop more of his like persona sure. as he starts doing radio shows and that really works for him after a while um 10 of the top 50 songs oh of 1931 God. feature Bing Crosby, either him individually or on other people's records. Wow. So he has been on the scene for not that long and is already one of the most popular yeah. singers. And he skyrockets, like, fast. Um, uh, during this time, Bing also starts starring in musical comedy short films with Paramount. Oh, so sure. just, like, little one-off, like, 30-minute yeah. comedy bits. Uh, so he's like kind of dipping his toe into acting film. Um, cause acting. he's, yeah. Um, and in 1932, he stars in his first feature length film, the big broadcast. Uh-huh. So he, he starts to become a, a multimedia a star. star. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I saw him often referred to as is like one of the first sure. multimedia stars. Yeah, I guess that's Cause true. he was live f- radio film, film television. television. So he was like a quadruple threat, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the early days when a lot of that technology is still developing in the first place. And not many people who act in, acted in television also did film or yes. vice versa. That yeah. was not Although, really Although, to be fair, and we'll talk about it when we get there, more of his television performances were not um, acting. It was more him, but still. No, but still. at this point, he mm-hmm. has done television and film, and that yeah. didn't really happen that much. Yeah. Um, in 1933, he has his first son, Gary, um, and I'm just going to jump for, forward for his other kids. In 34, he has twins, right. Dennis and Philip, and in 38, he has another son named Lindsay, who was actually named after um, a guy that he did business with in thoroughbred horse racing. Hmm. which we'll talk about a little bit later, but I found that interesting that it was, like, his partner. Were they all with the with first his wife? wife? Mm-hmm. With Dixie, okay. yeah. Um, we'll we'll talk more about Dixie in a little bit. I just, because you jumped ahead a little bit, so I wasn't sure. Oh, no, it's just I was talking about the kids, so I just wanted to get all the kids well, out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in late 1934, he signs a new record contract with Jack Knapp's label DECA. And I was actually reading that, like, him signing with DECA um, basically saved the record industry. Because records were being sold for, like, a dollar a piece. Right. And, um... Artists got a flat rate for selling their songs oh. to rec- recording companies, and Jack Knapp wanted to sell records for thirty-five cents uh-huh. instead of a dollar, and wanted um, them to get a what's it called like 
the rights to the record so they keep making money right. off it, not yeah, selling yeah. it. I just can't remember the word for so it. They would sell it if there was radio play. Yeah, yeah. Sell they it would if get it got reproduced. They would get some it. money off of it yeah. instead of just selling it for the flat rate. Well, they didn't just sell the song; it was record sales. It was selling the rights to the song, yeah. not just the right. to use it. Um, and that wasn't a really popular idea. Uh, and people didn't, didn't make the people didn't think that money. it was going to work. And when Bing signed with him and like agreed to that idea, it like gave other people confidence to sign with him sure. and ch- completely changed it the gave industry. Other artists the ability mm-hmm. to say, "I'm going to get paid properly for my work." Exactly. Yeah. And this is the first of like three industries that Bing <laughs> saves in right. his lifetime. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was so interesting yeah. that his him him being the first big name to sign with that and agree that this was a, yeah. a a system that would work gave other people the confidence to do it and it saved the industry. Yeah. Uh in 1936 he replaces Paul Whiteman as the host wow. of the NBC radio show Craft Music Hall, which he will host for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Craft, yes, like the like company Craft. Like yeah. The mac and cheese. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They, man, you know, this is a discussion for another time, but I always find it so funny, the type of stuff that, like, companies that now we think of as having, like, this one thing mm-hmm. owned so many mm-hmm. other things. <laughs> yeah. I think we discussed it a little bit, probably, when we talked about um, Nintendo. Yeah. I, but I don't totally remember. Yeah. But. Because Kraft wasn't then associated with it mac, and mac and cheese. It was associated with, like, home goods. Right. And food and And it's yeah. just so interesting how like those types of things fall off yeah and then companies would find their niche very weird how all of that yeah. happens anyway <laughs> um so bing's voice and the like newer microphone technology really yes. change the popular singing style from being like belting yeah. music to the smoother crooner style. like so he's like kind of the og oh, he crooner totally is. um because the popular Musicians of the time were used to performing live. Yeah. So they're belters because they have to reach the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Or um, they're still trying to get the notes out with, like, very primitive microphone mm-hmm. technology. But because it's adapted so much, Bing is able to have a much quieter, smoother style that gets, like, the intricacies of what he's doing with the notes. And crooners were kind of more... Uh, recording artists yes. in a way. Yes. Not that they wouldn't perform live. Because he absolutely like said, can perform like, live. But It's not like a, a band, like yeah. a big band. They yeah. would want to perform in a club or something. Mm-hmm. But, but most of, And a lot of his live performances also are on radio. So he's right. still doing the live performance over a microphone. Right. Or if it's to a, a studio audience, they're hearing him through a sound system, right. which is different yes. from those those big band older styles. Totally. So he, he learned... With those orchestras, but he developed into that. Which I'm sure yeah. he would use later in, like, musicals. Yes, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I just found this story really interesting. Okay. It's a little bit of an aside. <laughs> in 1936, Bing becomes friends with Louis Armstrong. He was, like, yes. he was really intrigued by his music and, like, well, yeah. Wasn't. Exactly. Um, so he they become friends, and he wants to be in a movie with Louis Armstrong. Love that. So they end up appearing together in Pennies from Heaven. Pennies from Heaven. 
the number the the number of times i did that while i was taking (laughs) notes like i was taking notes while anna and i were in the same room and i don't like to like tell her what i'm doing because i want i don't want to know it all yeah yeah i want want her to be learning it as we go but i was just sitting there very quietly to myself you were humming i was singing it it was me singing pennies from heaven (laughs) you were humming yesterday while i was working and i was like she's humming that's funny she doesn't usually do that because i was singing i was trying not to sing pennies from heaven so funny Um, I held off on the other song. Yeah. I couldn't do it with that one. Um, But then, so this quote is about them working together. Crosby also ensured behind the scenes that Armstrong received equal billing to his white co-stars. Armstrong appreciated Crosby's progressive attitudes on race and often expressed gratitude for the role in later years. And also, Louis appearing in this film allowed him to have more sway for other black actors. Of course it did. Um, it, like, gave... it was a big role. And it gave and him influence. He said, you paid me before, so I know you can pay... And I know you can pay, you can pay my actors, friends. Right. The, yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I will note... Yeah. In his career, Bing Crosby did do blackface uh, yeah, in yeah. Holiday Inn and another film after the fact. Um and, there and are references to a it in lot White of Christmas. well a lot of his um uh show stylings is inspired by minstrel, minstrel shows, shows because all live yeah. shows at the time were inspired by minstrel shows. That's a real bummer. Um and so it's like, you know, progressive race views at the time really only went so far. Oh yeah. Because that's just the culture that they were well, living in and Yeah. yeah. Definitely. The you know, you I don't expect any from anyone from this time period, any white person to be some that someone that I would now consider to be progressive. Uh, yeah, for no. For the most part. Yeah. I'm sure there are a few. There exceptions, are some. There are some. But not that many. Yeah. And usually those exceptions were, you know, activists. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but I do I would think, not call Bing Crosby an activist. No, but it is nice to know that like as a a very well respected setting. Yeah, yeah, that he actively was making sure that this black actor was getting paid the same yes. as the rest of his crew. I wish that and, it would have swayed him to then not do blackface. Yeah. But that may be too much to expect from someone in the 1930s. Yeah, sadly I, and again, enough. it is it's the culture of the industry yeah. that people just thought that was an acceptable so form weird. of media and now we know that it's not and we knew then too, it's but so there's weird just the way that yeah. it was all rationalized. Yeah. Like I'm going to really advocate for this person, but you know what? I'm still going to do that. This so because because the, there's a, just a disconnect between yeah. understanding how offensive that is. Yeah, totally. they they just they it wasn't a part of their everyday lives and their reality, yeah. so they didn't have a connection of how offensive that truly was. Um so, you know, I I think that story with Louis Armstrong is really cool, but I would be remiss not to note totally. that he also, you know, oh, yeah. was on We're the other end of it. That. No, absolutely no. not. Um yeah, but I just I found that interesting. Yeah. Um so now we're getting into the start of World War II, and and I'm getting ready to do a lot of jumping around because okay. this is the point where like Bing Crosby is famous, and here's a bunch of stuff he does with his fame mm-hmm. and with his money. Right. Um. And so I I tried to keep it on a a decent timeline, but there's going to be a little bit of jumping around. But I'm so sorry, I was just staring into my drink while you were talking. I got a bunch of the like spices. Oh, all at <laughs> once. Okay. <laughs> um. So. During World War II, he makes a lot of live appearances before American troops who had been fighting in the European theater. Right. Uh, 
this is like a huge thing for yeah. him. It's the whole plot of White Christmas. <laughs> right. Is yes, this. It is. Um, but it, it's something that he cares about. Um, yeah. And he, he goes and makes a lot of live performances. And I just found this fact really interesting. In a poll of U.S. troops at the close of World War II, Crosby topped the list as the person who had done the most for G.I. morale, ahead of President Franklin D. Roosevelt, wow. General Dwight Eisenhower, and Bob Hope. He was number wow. one for having done the most for morale for troops. And as I was reading... Crazy ahead of Roosevelt. That's yeah, big Yeah, him, As I was say. reading, I was reading, like, stories and stories and stories of men in other countries being, like, walking around cities that they were in oh, yeah. while they were at war and hearing people Sing. in these different countries listening to Bing Crosby wow. because he was he was so well-beloved worldwide. Yeah. He was really famous in India and Africa. Um, okay. And so a lot of the men who were in some of those places, like, were comforted to know that, like, me and these people yeah. have this in common. There were so many stories about that. I thought it was really, really interesting. Uh, also during this time, he records his biggest hit ever. It's his rendition of Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Okay, I almost did. to say yeah. about this. Uh-huh. I love Bing Crosby's White Christmas very much. It is not the best version. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I understand that. It is the most famous version. <laughs> it's... No, maybe it is the best. Version. It's it, it's so good. It's so good. There are wonderful. It is the best version. There are life. wonderful versions of this song, yeah, yeah. but it's, it is the best version. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I almost did Irving Berlin for this episode because ah. I just because he pr- composed so much yeah. of our very famous maybe Christmas movie. Time. Yeah. Um. So he records the song on a Christmas Day broadcast in 1941. And the song... I can't believe I said it wasn't the best version. I don't know why I said that. I don't know either. My brain it just stopped working. definitely is. <laughs> I was thinking of a different song, I think, when you uh, said it. My brain just stopped working. That he also has made uh-huh. famous. Okay, yeah. yeah. My bad, you guys. It's don't okay. come for me. It's okay. Um, the song appears in his 1942 film, Holiday Inn. Yeah. So he recorded it earlier, but it becomes very popular after its appearance in right, Holiday course. Inn. Um. It hits the charts on October 3rd, 1942, and reaches number one on October 31st and stays there for 11 weeks. Wow. Um, it, R- R- Decca re releases the song every year, or did during this time. Wow. Um, every Christmas, it, yeah. the, Decca would re release the song. And he made money off and of it, it when they did. And it charts another 16 times. Wow. Uh, it topped the charts again in 1945 and a third time in 1947. Can you imagine if he were with a different record company that didn't operate yeah. like that? Yeah. When that song came out, uh-huh. he would have made not even close to as mm-hmm. much money off mm-hmm. of it. The song remains the best-selling single of all time. Wow. According to Guinness World Records, his recording of White Christmas has sold over 50 million copies around the world. Uh I also found this really interesting. His recording was so popular that he had to re-record it in 1947 using the same musicians and backup singers because the original master had become damaged huh. due to how frequently it was used to press singles. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So it is still in existence, the original. But you can't um, use it to make copies. Actually, some um, some TV station in like 2011 uh, aired the original oh, one okay. or something um 
but yeah, it's it's not really used so much anymore sure. because it it well, got damaged from all the pressing. It yeah, because it's the original. Yeah. Um, and then you know, in 1954, he goes on to star in the movie White Christmas, which is inspired of by course. both by I I think I love this movie for a lot of reasons, but. It, because it's inspired by his life mm-hmm. as a performer and that song, like right. the thing that made him famous. And it's also just kind of a rewrite of Holiday Inn. Um, yeah. So it, like all those pieces coming together, I think makes such an interesting movie. Yeah. Um, and it, it is my all time favorite Christmas so movie. Much. I love it so much. There it was are never my fave. many issues with the film. I understand yeah. this, um, but it is like, it's just classic Christmas to me. And it's like, yeah. I mean, the music is fabulous. Yes. And I find it to be a very, like, uplifting story. I like yeah, the... It, it was yeah. never my favorite because several parts of it make me uncomfortable. Understandable. Um, but that's a me thing. But yeah. I do love the music. It's beautifully yeah. done. It's beautifully done. Um, yeah, so that's that's the... If you know Bing Crosby at all, which I'm sure you do, that is probably why. Well, if from you're, his Christmas album. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is... Um, the that song thing, or the movie. Yeah. yeah. He was already world famous for that time, right? But this but now, is what makes him lasting. Right. Besides, you know, if you're an old movie Well, buff, and but. like your grandparents loved him, mm-hmm. and so your parents loved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I mean, one of the reasons that's my favorite Christmas movie is because it's, it's mom's, mom's favorite yeah. Christmas movie, so we watch it together uh-huh. every year. <laughs> the reason that um, Christmas Story is my favorite Christmas movie is because it was Dad's. Dad's Those fa- are two yeah. very different things. Yes, they are. Yes, and they are. I watch it every year, and now it's my favorite. Too. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, that's not true. The Peanuts Christmas Special is technically my favorite, but if we're talking full-length movies. Yeah, that's fair. Movie. That's fair. Um, So... Speaking of his film career, between 1940 and 1962, Bing stars in seven Road to something. Oh, I see. What you movies mean. with Bob Hope and Dorothy Lamour. Um, Dorothy's in all but one of them, I think. But mm-hmm. it's like Road to Hong Kong right. or Road yes. to whatever. Um, and you know they only make seven of these movies together, but it makes Bing and Bob Hope like a duo. Yeah. Um. And and they worked on and off together for years, so it's not like their whole career was this, but they were famous together. Sure. There are lots of comedies that are, or comedy duos that are like oh, that, God. that aren't actually duos, yes. but they are because they're well established. Right. In 1944, he wins the Academy Award for Best Actor for Going My Way. He's nominated again in 1945 for the sequel, The Bells of St. Mary's. And it makes him the first of six actors to be nominated for the same role twice. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. I, I and now thinking about it, I'm like, well, that can't happen very often. You don't usually get nominated for one and then the sequel. Yeah. Well, because yeah. often a sequel won't get nominated exactly. for Academy Awards at all. Exactly. Um, and so I just found that really. It's not how the Academy Awards really no, work anymore. No, no. But I found that so interesting. Um, not only is he this world famous singer, he's also an Oscar winner. Yeah. Uh, in I added this because I thought you would enjoy it. Yeah. In 1949, he narrates and provides songs for Disney's Legend of Sleepy Hollow, yes. which we was our last episode, yeah. actually. Oh, God. Yeah, I guess yeah. It was. Um, 
Uh, he also has several television appearances during this time. And like I said before, I'm not going to list them all because a lot of them were. He was a regular guest host on this talk show mm-hmm. or he appeared to sing on television on this show. It was less acting and more performing right. um, on television that guest he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He guest hosted a lot. He's still doing his radio show, mm-hmm. all that right. kind of stuff. Um, his wife dies of ovarian cancer in 1952, which was very sad. Um, he ends up remarrying to Catherine Grant in 1957 and actually has three more children with her. And wait, how many is that now? Seven Seven? total. Wow. Yeah. He was one of seven. Yes, he was. I didn't even notice that until you said that. Um, yeah, I also read that, um, his second marriage was not as successful of a marriage. Like, he slept around a lot with a lot of other actresses. At this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it seems like his first marriage was a happy one. From what we can tell. From what we can tell, yeah. Which Uh, is not a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there are people more knowledgeable about Bing Crosby who probably have more information on that, but, you know. This is not the inside scoop. No, it is not. Um. During this period, he's also really influential in developing and popularizing early tape recording for radio. Oh, So sure. here is yet another industry okay, that he it. saves. Radio shows are performed live during this time, and he does several shows a week. Mm-hmm. At this point, he's hosting, like, probably four radio yeah, shows. And normally, they have to do them twice a day. Because they have to do them as an mm-hmm. East Coast performance and, and then, then a West Coast, Coast. performance. Right. As, if you're a big star like him, you do. Right. It's not like you can say, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a noon show on the East Coast, but a two o'clock show on the right. West Coast, and it's broadcast all at once. But everybody He's a headliner. So yeah. if it's seven, it, the East Coast, it's seven on the West Coast. Right. So he has to perform it twice in two hours. Um, and he wants to be able to do pre-recorded shows A, so he doesn't have to work as much, and B, so that he can edit them because – Well, and also it's probably just better for his voice. It's way better for his voice, yeah. His voice could go fast doing Um, that for a long time. He doesn't want to have to do the same show over and over and over. He wants to be able to say, okay, well, in rehearsal, I liked that song better than when I did it on the live recording, so let's put in the rehearsal, but my – ad-libs with the audience were way better during the show, so I want to leave that in. Sure. Um, Which also was unheard of during this time. Um, A lot of radio stations were against this idea. Shock. uh, Which, there's a a little bit both ways on it. It is true that the more live performances that you do, the more people you can hire. um, Because they are working multiple shows. That's true. But it is also true that it is way more strain on your performer. Yes. And you will not have a show without your performer. Right. So... There, there's a little and bit. It's less sustainable. Yes, it yeah. is way less sustainable. In the sustainable. long run, that, uh-huh. this was always because you know a lot of stations' argument are, well, it's the magic of it being live, which is like you're just yeah, saying that because you want to make more money, right? Um, and but I do understand the aspect of like wanting to give more people work. Totally. But but you know, doing it this way now, you get to hire editors. This is a brand right. new job, right. which is kind of cool. Um, so he um. When he's in Germany at some point, I don't know when. Really uh, yeah, um, he sees a really early version of um, magnetic tape sound recording, uh-huh. and he brings the idea to the U.S. and helps to fund development of this technology. 
so that he can use it. And he wants to use it. He thinks that it's going to help him a lot. Um, For a while, NBC and CBS refused to air his pre-recorded shows. So he... And then they were like, oh, we're missing he out on He boycotted for like a year. <laughs> yeah. He like he like left the stations yeah. and didn't perform because he was pre-recording shows and editing on, them and guys. really liking the end result and they wouldn't air them. Stupid move. He's your biggest star. Exactly. So eventually they give in and... and well, and, yeah, they have to. Yeah, they have to. Um, But that's a whole new industry that yeah. he's just developed. And then because of this, he also helps develop that technology for television. Sure. Because all of those television live broadcasts yeah. are the same. They're not pre-recorded yet. Right. And it's a little different for film. Well, of course. Editing and stuff, you know. But most the of- idea exists now. Mm-hmm. Well, and he was doing that kind of filming for movies. Right. So he helped make a similar sure. thing for television. So there's wow. two more industries he's Innovator. saved with his. Innovator. Yeah. <laughs> it's just think it's really cool that he did all that stuff. Um, you know, he's rich, so he has a lot of other interests. Um, he owns a couple of television stations, which makes sense yeah. that he would. Um, he has sev- he was really into thoroughbred racing. Um, so he has lots of, yeah, it is. It really is. (laughs) So he has several horses and he actually owns a racing stable. And this is what I was talking about. His partner. Yeah. He, his, one of his horses actually lost to Seabiscuit and Seabiscuit's like very famous. Wow. Yep. His, his horse was in the same race. Yeah. Um, Seabiscuit was probably more famous than him. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, he, Really likes sports, too. He's an avid golfer. And he owns 25% of the Pittsburgh Pirates. <gasps> and during his time owning them, they win two World Series. Yeah. And the I second the one, Pirates. which was very famous, I can't remember what year. It was in the 70s. Yeah, 77, I want to say. Maybe. I don't know. Um, He was too nervous to um listen to it. Or to ah. to go and watch it live, yeah. and he was traveling when it was happening. So he had a television station that he owned record it for him, so he could go back and watch it. And <laughs> I love that. N- now that is preserved for. So he watched it once, wow. and then he put it in his wine cellar to keep, and never watched it again. Seventy. It would have been seventy one or seventy nine. I Probably think seventy one. No, it's oh, seventy one. Really? Yes, okay. it was seventy one. Um, and then the other, the one before that was the other one that they won while he was their owner um i don't know why i didn't take note of it it was our dad loves the 70s pirates yeah um but yeah so he had them record it for him he watched it once and then he put it in his wine cellar and because he put it in his wine cellar it was really well preserved and then now we're able to re-record that world series game you could listen to bing crosby's recording of roberto clemeni on the world series watch his recording oh watch yeah yeah that's Wild. I like the reason we're able to re-record that game is because he recorded it, or to re-air that game. Our dad is gonna freak out when he hears. Isn't that amazing? I just thought that was so cool. We saw that team. Was it that? It might. Have, it was either that team or the '79 team come. Um, oh we yeah, saw them that's at a game right. And, and our dad was just freaking out the whole time. Yeah, I remember that. Man, um, that's wild. Yeah, just it's such a weird thing. My little Pittsburgh heart. I love that. <laughs> um. So here's the thing about Bing Crosby, is that, like, later in his life, it is made clear that he has, like, a lot of ties with the mafia, uh, because he's super rich. Yeah, Yeah. um, he wasn't really public about it, you know, like, Frank Sinatra was like, I am a mobster. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but Bing Crosby, not so much. No, 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 no. Um, 
FBI documents are made public in December 1999, so this is after his death, but um, that revealed that the FBI Deputy Director Clyde Tolson discovered that Crosby liked to gamble at gambling dens, which were operating illegally. Um, He had a gambling addiction, a pretty severe one, because of his racing. Not abnormal then either, though. No, no, not abnormal. But the racing and the golfing, and like he he had a pretty severe um, gambling addiction. And he owed mobster, like, thousands, mobsters, like, thousands of dollars yeah. in gambling debts. Um, he had, like, a bunch of death threats, and he had to ask, like, people like Frank Sinatra for money so he wouldn't wow. get killed by the mob. Um, I just thought that was so interesting. The FBI documents also revealed that uh, Jack Machine Gun McGurn, um who was a part of the St. Valentine's Day massacre, yeah. which, ooh, that's an episode, yeah. um, was one of Crosby's golfing partners and that he was friends with, like, a bunch of other high-profile mobsters. Like Bugsy Seagal. Bugsy Seagal, yeah, wow. and Frank Needy. I mean, that's not super surprising to me. No, frankly. it's not. It seems like, well, it's kind of a trope now. Right? Yeah. That, like, stars from that era. Especially those crooner singers. Absolutely. There was very much an image of that. When you watch, like, mob movies, mm-hmm. that's the kind of mm-hmm. music you mm-hmm. hear. And the but you also have to think you that. see when they go to clubs or like, whatever. Like, he was a rich person during the Great Depression, right. right? So, and the other people who were rich during the Great Depression were mobsters. So totally. That... And a lot of people who were rich during the Depression had gambling problems. Yes. Because it was like money was like so rare. And yes. You just wanted to get it a lot of it. Flashy. Yes. To, yeah. Yeah. And you could show off your wealth and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, you know, being a famous white man in the yeah. Depression, it like makes sense that mm-hmm. that was sort mm-hmm. of what happened to him. It fits into the circle nicely. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but I, I found that interesting because it's not really his image and the way that it was for no. Sinatra. He's a little more, he's a little more cleaned up, a little more yeah, like you're, you're cut. every man, every totally. American household would listen to him and not really feel any shame about it. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. He's like, quote unquote, in your home, like with your kids. Yeah. Probably. You all probably sit down and listen to his radio show. It's yeah. It's different than it like is. Sinatra. Yeah. You know. Who so. had a little bit more of an edge yeah. in his image. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also always forget that they were like peers. Yeah. The, like Sinatra learned to sing in of that style from Crosby. Yeah. And I like, do, you know, they just don't occupy the same space <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about some of the success during his lifetime. I have a lot of okay. stats here. I'm going to try and like okay, let's sum it up, but let's they are so interesting. So uh, in his lifetime, 396 chart singles and roughly 41 number one hits. Wow. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, he had separate charting singles every year between 1931 and 1954. Wow. And because of the re-release of White Christmas every year, that extended to 1957. Wow. Because of that song. Uh, he has 24 separate popular singles in 1939 alone. Oh my god, that's so many songs. Yeah, it's wild. Um, a statistician at Billboard (laughs) determined that Crosby was America's most successful recording act of the 1930s and again in the 1940s. I don't think you need to be a statistician to determine that. Yeah, but it's just like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of really popular, like, well, yeah, but I household mean, names Just during that period. Yeah, me. yeah. Like, yeah. Um, a survey in the year 2000 finds that, oh my God, that's 
over a billion movie tickets sold makes Crosby the third most popular actor of all time behind Clark Gable and And John John Wayne. Wayne. Sure, that makes sense. Um, He was also listed uh, as – I'm going to just start that over. Uh, the International Motion Picture Almanac lists him in a tie for second most years at number one on the all-time number one stars list with Clint Eastwood, Tom Hanks, and Burt Reynolds. Oh, that is interesting company. Yeah. Thomas Hanks. Uh, White Christmas was his most popular film. Yeah. Grossed three, or $30 million in 1954, which wow. is $289 million now. That's a lot in 1954. Yeah. Uh, in 1962, he's given the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, of course. And he is one of 33 people to have three stars on the Hollywood Walk of fa- Fame. Three stars? Quiz for you, sis. What are the three stars for? They're they're oh. each for different categories. I wrote it down so I wouldn't okay. forget. Okay. Um, so when you say categories. There are categories that you like can have a star for film, on the Walk of Fame. Yes, okay. yeah. So, so what three things film. does he have? I would say film. It's motion pictures, yes. Um... Radio? Radio. And, I mean, like, just being a recording artist? Audio recording. Okay, yeah. cool. I was like, motion how, pic- I, yep. how do I put that into yeah. words? Motion pictures, radio, audio, audio recording. I actually think that there are only four categories for the stars. So he has three of the four categories. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even... It never occurred to me that people would get multiple stars. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I just don't, you know, I one, don't think about the stars One of much, 33 but... people wow. to have three. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I want to know who the other ones are. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that's a fun fact Whoopi we can find. Goldberg, <laughs> probably. No, I <laughs> probably. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, so that's a sort of overview of a bunch of stuff in right. his life. I'm going to sort of come back towards the end of his career now okay. and, and talk about how... We're getting towards the end now. Okay. In January of 1974, he has a life-threatening fungal infection in his right lung. God. Uh, but he recovers, and oh. he takes a break for a few I years. Would think so, he's, yeah. you know, he was born in 1903, so he's 69, 70 right. years old now. So and recovering from a pretty serious infection. Yeah, and you know he had alcohol problems and right. I'm certain drug problems, Probably, yeah. and so he's just at that age. Um, so he takes a break for a few years, but he returns to recording in 1977. He like feels ready. He's yeah. gonna do some some Twilight Years kind of Love. work. Um, in March of 1977, after videotaping a concert at the Ambassador Auditorium in Pasadena. Uh, for CBS to commemorate his 50th anniversary in show business, uh, uh, he falls oh, no. uh, off the stage in, <gasps> into the orchestra pit oh, and God. ruptures a disc in his back, <gasps> and it requires a month in, a hos- oh, in the hospital. That is so scary. And he was, like, on stage with Bob Hope. They were, like, performing oh. to him, and he fell. Um, so he has to be in the hospital for a while. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being in that show? Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Big Crosby. <laughs> Please protect him. I was once in a hockey game where a player I loved got, like, injured and was down on the ice for a long time. Uh-huh. I imagine it's a similar feeling. Where like, you're just like, <gasps> oh, my God. Hannah, my friend Hannah leaned over to me when he got hurt and she said, he has four kids. I was like, why would you say that? <laughs> it's like that feeling. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then this is also wild. His first performance after the accident. Uh, which actually ends up being his last American concert, mm. was on August 16th, 1977. 
the electric power fails during oh his God. performance, and he continues to sing without Damn, amplification. But just like he's well, been out, well, he was like, "Oh, I'm ready to come back." And they he said, performs. He ruptures a disc in his back. The stage said, is out for a month, for and then he performs again, and the electric goes out. Just said, to, I'm ready for yeah. the stage, and the stage said, "No, no, you're not. Go rest, Lay down. please." <laughs> uh, in September. Bing, his family, and Rosemary Clooney ah. begin a concert tour of Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they're in the UK, he records his final album, Seasons, ah. and his final TV Christmas special with guest David Bowie. Bowie! They record that special on September 11th, and it's during this show that Bing and Bowie record The Little Drummer Boy and Peace on Peace Earth. Okay, I only sing twice. Yeah. Well, that w- that was the other one that kept getting stuck in my head because it's. Well, we started singing. Yeah, last it's night. one of my all-time favorite. It's so good. Christmas songs that mashup that they do and the way oh. they just like sit and talk. I oh. I love that performance. Oh, now I'm sad about Bowie. Yeah, I'm sad about <laughs> both of them. Um, on October thirteenth, nineteen seventy-seven, Bing flies to Spain to go golfing. Um. On October 14th, he is at, uh, this is all going to be in Spanish, the La Morala. Probably a yeah. I, I don't know. He's at a golf course in Madrid. Uh, he plays 18 holes of golf. Uh, his partner is a World Cup champion, and they're playing against, like, the club president. Cool. Because, you know, he's rich and he knows all these yeah. people. Um, he is apparently in good spirits throughout the day. He's photographed while they're playing at the ninth hole. Construction workers uh, building nearby recognizes him and ask him Aww. for a song. And he sings them strangers Aww. in the night. Uh, Crosby, who had a 13 handicap lost to his partner by one stroke uh-huh. um, at about six 30, they are heading back to the clubhouse. Crosby says, that was a great game of golf, fellas. Let's go have a Coca-Cola. Could he be more American? And those were apparently his last words. Wow. Uh, about 20 yards from the clubhouse entrance, he collapses and dies sad. instantly from a massive oh heart my attack. God, that's awful. Yeah, it's really sad. But he was just like working yeah. and so happy and, you know, what doing it. What a quintessentially American last phrase. Well, and just what a Bing Crosby last Let's go phrase. Coca That was a great TM. game of golf, fellas. Let's go have a Coca Cola. Like, that just sounds like something yeah. he would say in one of his shows. Yeah. Um, he has a funeral mass on October 18th and is buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City, California. Wow. Yeah. Um, that Christmas special that he had recorded with Mm -hmm. Bowie airs a month after his death and his final album, Seasons, is released in late 1977. I know now while you were like, it was definitely 71. Yeah, because he died in 77. Um. I, I think didn't know what year it was. That is such a beautiful name for your final album. Yes, it totally is, especially at that age and after such a Because you know career. that he was it's recording like, that album probably life. as a little bit of a retirement album. Well, yeah, he probably intended yeah. for it to be his yeah. last. Yeah, and so, or, or one of his last. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I just found that to be kind of beautiful. Um, couple, couple of little things. Okay. Um, after his death, his oldest son, Gary, writes a memoir and has a really aggressively critical mm. view of his father. He describes him as cru- cruel, cold, remote, and physically and psychologically abusive. Wow. His other children have a lot of issues with Gary writing this book. Um, they say that Gary's description was wildly exaggerated. Huh. Some of the kids agree that he was a disciplinarian. Um, 
like, a lot of them say, you know, like, he was a father in the 30s. Sure. Um, and that he was kind of straight. But others say that, like, most of what Gary writes is completely made up. Interesting. Um, so all of his kids have a wildly different view of him as a father. I mean, I guess that's not surprising considering he probably was away a lot. Yeah. And also, um, he had problems with alcohol. Yeah. So it's totally possible that one of them was Experience. taken out on them. Gar- or... Gary was the oldest. And right. so maybe he has a different view than the other kids. Totally. But, like, most of the other kids say that a lot of the stuff that he wrote was made up. Yeah, that's wild. Was, like, more severe. Because he, he was getting paid. He wrote the yeah. book for money. And it's so still, they were though, saying that, like... like like, if you were an only child, that would be one thing. But, like, you have siblings. Here, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Uh, so I was – and there was also, like, a lot of money issues after his death. Well, because he had surprising. He had two wives, so he had two estates right. with the two wives. And so their and families – gambling debts. Yeah, that, their families competed a lot. And, like, sure. the money was put in trust for his kids, and they wouldn't receive it until after they were 65. And almost none of his children lived to 65. That's a long yeah. time. Almost none of his children lived to 65. Why would you make it that I don't know. Way? I don't know. Um, so there was like a lot of stuff with his family after he died that was it was a lot I was like I don't have time for all of this I don't doubt that he was in some ways probably cruel to his children yeah or at least just like very strict and I think fathers then just were were, cruel to their children I mean not all of them obviously but it was more the norm Mm -hmm. frankly to be what would we what we now would consider to be cruel yeah in yeah, a lot of ways. but I just thought that was interesting that he had such a critical take, and most of the other kids were like yeah. that. A lot of them were like, "That's straight, straight up, false. up false. You yeah. made that up." And some of the other ones were like, "He was strict, but that's a little severe right. what you you've written." Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, it does sound a little bit like he was like, "My father wasn't as yes. nice as you all think." And he was just oh, because there's this to whole thing. Gotcha so, um, the title of the book was some play on the name of the film that he won the Oscar for. Oh yeah. And there was this whole thing that was like. Seeing him depicted as such a loving father in the film really okay, well, made me whatever. Acting, yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. He I don't know. Been depicted as way worse. What do you mean? Yeah, I know, I know. Um, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, uh, in his lifetime, he made over seventy feature films and recorded over one thousand six hundred songs. Also a lot. Yeah, he has four performances in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, which is like an award for yeah. performances that are over 25 years old that have had like historical significance. Right. Um, so his performance of White Christmas of is obviously one of them. And the other ones were equally popular. Yeah. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but yeah. Wow. That was, he's an interesting one. Storied life. Yeah. Yeah. I find him very interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. He was just, there's like a, that group of Hollywood stars from that period and I find them all interesting. Um. Well... Yeah. I think we'll get into some more interesting things next time, too. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because I think, don't want me to it, because we never know, uh-huh. but I think I'm going to talk about Jimmy Stewart. Which is going to be interesting. Um. So, yeah. Kind of sticking to the theme of Christmas, Christmas adjacent. actors. Christmas-adjacent actors. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. Um. That was really interesting. Thanks. Good one for our first one back. Yeah. After a break. Yeah. That felt kind of long. Yeah. I missed it. Yeah. But I also enjoyed the rest. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Both can be true. Yes. Definitely. Um, yeah. Well, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, I hope you're all enjoying your holiday month so far. Uh-huh. If you celebrate holidays that occur in December. Um, what do I say now? I forget. 
Um, if you have questions or if you have comments or if you have topic suggestions, we would really love to hear them. And you can send them to us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RTTPod or you can search the name of the podcast on Facebook and we will pop up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, meta. <laughs> um, I will never call it that. Although uh-huh. when you Google it now, that little logo comes up and I get annoyed every time. Disgusting. Well, when you, I say Google, you type it into yeah. Google. Yeah. Um, if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be amazing. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Back in the swing of things, baby. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoy your holiday time. And uh, until next time, remember that time.